to turn in our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 8, for a scripture reading this evening. John's Gospel, chapter 8, we're going to read from the first verse of the chapter. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, and beginning our reading at the first verse. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted him up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen. And we know that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just unite in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to thee in our Saviour's name afresh. We thank thee for the story that is before us. We thank thee for the compassionate Christ, for the merciful Master. We thank thee for the one who is able to deal with us in kindness and in love. And we pray, our God, that men and women may experience that love and that compassion in the forgiveness of their sins. We recognize it's all of thee, and we recognize that salvation is of the Lord. And so, our God, we just commit our way to thee tonight, and we'd ask that thou wouldst take up thy word and use it to the extension of thy kingdom and to the salvation of lost, perishing souls for all eternity. Be with us and bless us tonight, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. The story that we have here in John chapter 8 begins early one morning. The Lord is on the Mount of Olives here. It is just after the Feast of Tabernacles, and there was great crowds that had gathered there in Jerusalem. And as Jesus uh, teaches the people that gather here, many have come to hear the Lord Jesus speak. And as he is teaching them, in the midst of this, there comes a bustle and a group of men dragging a woman along with them in a state of dishevelment, and they bring her and cast her down in the midst of the crowd where the Lord Jesus was. And it says there 
in verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, uh, they, they, they begin to challenge the Lord Jesus Christ here. I suppose that they were too gentle with the woman in any way. It isn't hard to imagine the fright, uh, the fear that must have been in the woman. Here she was dragged by these men into the very public square where her sins are denounced uh, in public and where the death sentence is going to be administered if she's found guilty of the crime that she's accused of. Uh, you can imagine that the men are treating her brutally. She is an object here in the midst of this. This is uh, all a plot and a plan to entrap the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are the men who bring this woman into the midst? Well, we're told here that they're the scribes or the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And they come to ask the Lord Jesus a matter of law. Now, these are the men who are the experts in the law but they come to uh, ask the Lord Jesus about a matter of law because they have hatched a plot among themselves to entrap the Lord Jesus. You will see that he says in verse 6, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. And what was happening here is that there was a difference between Jewish law and Roman law. Now, uh, the law of Moses, quite rightly, uh, the uh, people uh, of that day, as in every day, I think, uh, would count adultery to be an awful sin. Many of the uh, Jewish rabbis would have said that it was better to die than to commit a, a, idolatry or adultery or to blaspheme against God. And so this is a very serious crime in the Jewish uh, law. Indeed, it is one that it, if it is seen by two or three witnesses, has the death penalty upon it. But Roman law was different. And if the Lord Jesus now was going to say, well, Moses' law applies, the rabbis here, the scribes and the Pharisees, have a reason to bring him to a Roman court and say that he's broken Roman law, and probably they would have exaggerated what he said, and they would have uh, caused, uh, called him an insurrectionist, and so they would have had some reason that the Lord Jesus then would have been put to death as an insurrectionist, as a rebel against Roman law. However, if the Lord Jesus said, no, we uphold Moses, or if, well, if he did say, we uphold, or we uphold Roman law, then the people quite rightly, would have left him. They, they, they were looking to him as a teacher of the law. They were looking to him as one who was teaching the Old Testament. And so, if he had have said Roman law applies, then they would have left. And so, the Lord really is on the horns of a dilemma in many ways. He is in a position where there is really no right thing to do. He is going to be entrapped no matter what he has done. And these scribes and Pharisees have set it up like that. They have uh, hatched a master plan whereby they've gotten this woman who is taken in adultery and they've brought her before the Lord and now this is all to entrap the Lord Jesus. Now that makes you suspicious about the woman. Now in the Jewish law, 
in order for someone to be condemned of adultery, they, they had to have two witnesses in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now, it wasn't enough then to be a witness against this to say, well, I saw them going into a room and I saw them coming out again, or I saw them together going here or there. You had to actually witness the act of adultery taking place. Now, how likely is that? How likely was it that they were going to come across this act of adultery that was taking place? And it leads you just the suspicion here that they had maybe um, got some man. You see, the, the man, there's no, there's no mention of the man. It, it takes two to uh, commit adultery, and the man was as guilty and maybe more guilty than the woman, and there's no mention of the man. And that would maybe lead you, we speculate here, but lead you to think that this whole thing is a conspiracy, that they've got some man to seduce this woman, and they've brought her, and they have uh, been taken in the act of, a, of adultery here. So there are many questions here, but there is no doubt about the guilt of the woman. We find that she is uh, said to have been taken in adultery here in uh, a few cases in this portion of Scripture. But here were the proud Pharisees, and they thought that they had the Lord Jesus trapped. They felt for sure that this woman now, caught in the act of, the, of adultery, that the full penalty of the law would be visited upon her. And we find that uh, here they were, in the midst of this, and here he was, and he was uh, the friend of sinners. We think of the Lord Jesus Christ here, and he, ha he has brought, this woman is brought before him. We find that he says nothing to the Pharisees and scribes, but he writes on the ground. Now, nobody knows what he was writing, but nevertheless, we find that the men go out, and the Lord Jesus says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone upon her. And then at the end he says to the woman, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now many people will take those sayings of the Lord Jesus to be really an excuse for sin. Many people will, for example, in the trial, uh, the... Um, taking the impeachment of President Clinton, this story was used as a means of justifying what Clinton had done. They took the words of the Lord Jesus here, he that is without sin, let him first cast the stone. In other words, well, everybody is guilty, and it doesn't really matter that the Lord is going to pass over sin in the end. And we often think of the Lord Jesus Christ as the friend of sinners. But dear friend, that is not an excuse. It's not an excuse that you can go on in your sin and do what you want and live a life of licentiousness and sin and walk this life in the gutter. And then at the end of the day, the Lord will say, neither do I condemn thee. Is that what we're reading in this portion of Scripture? Is this something that comes 
as a boost to so many people in their sin. So many people believe out there today that everybody will be saved in the end. Well, is this story an indication of that is the case, that the Lord will just pass over our sins, that he led us away with it in the end, and the loving Savior, the uh, gentle Jesus, will just pass over sin. Well, let's just look at the story for a few minutes tonight. And we want to answer that question. We want to see what the Word of God has to say. How did the Lord Jesus deal with this adulterous woman? Well, there are a number of things that I want you to see about the dealings of the Lord Jesus Christ with the woman. And the first thing that I want you to see is the fairness of the Savior. Now, I'm going to have to explain what I mean by fairness, because it would have been fair for the Lord Jesus to have condemned the woman and the Pharisees and the scribes, because we're all guilty before God. We all deserve God's wrath and curse. And so it could have been perfectly fair and perfectly just for the Lord Jesus to have uh, condemned them all. But I want you to see that he dealt fairly with this situation in the sense that he dealt objectively with what was taking place. He didn't just look at the woman, but he looked at the situation as a whole. He did not just condemn the woman, but he condemned the Pharisees and the scribes as well. Here were these men, and they were coming, and they were pointing the finger at the woman. They were full of indignation and full of self-righteousness, and they were uh, condemning the woman. What an awful woman this is. What awful crime she has committed. And there they are condemning the, the woman. And we read that Jesus stood down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now there's been a lot of speculation about what the Lord did write on the ground. There are those that say, well, he was writing the commandments on the ground. Or he was writing out the actual sins of these people. Uh, and he said, they, he that is without sin, let him first cast the stone. And they realized their sins were written there before them. It may be just that the Lord was buying time that he was, uh, as it were, thinking. But nevertheless, whatever, we don't know what he was writing. But what I want you to see is that the Lord Jesus Christ dealt here in fairness. Some of the early church fathers felt that this story should be taken out of the scriptural account because they felt that it did give license for sin. But I want you to see that as we look at what is happening here, that the Lord Jesus Christ is not giving license for sin because you'll notice that he uh, refuses to deny the charge against the woman. He never ever says that this woman is guiltless. Now you see here that there were those who were trying to limit the guilt here. But the Lord Jesus Christ here, he uh, never denies the charge that this woman is guiltless. And you see it here, if you look at verses 4 and 5, you can see that the woman is guilty. It says in verse 4, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And then it says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned but what sayest thou? So she's taken in the very act that is never denied. It seems absolutely clear and plain 
in this portion of scripture that the woman is actually guilty of what she has been accused of. But the Lord never denies that. He's not trying to cover over sin. He's not trying to overlook sin. He never denies the sin. Indeed, he confirms the sin because he says, Go and sin no more. So the Lord Jesus points out the sin of the woman. He actually shows the woman her sin. But not only does the Lord refuse to deny the charge against the woman, but he refused to limit the charge. You see, as we said, these men were coming pointing the finger, and they were all self-righteous, and they were filled with their own sense of righteousness, that they were not like this awful woman and what she had done. But the Lord said, He that is without sin... Let him first cast the stone. And whether the Lord was writing their sins in the ground, we can speculate about that. But he was saying to these men, you need to face the consequences of your own sin. And such was the power of the words of the Lord Jesus that they, whether they saw it in the ground or whether it was just the words of the Lord Jesus, we read that from the eldest to the youngest, they went out one by one because not one of them could say that he was without sin. And dear friend, there is none of us who can say that we're without sin. You know, we like to limit the gospel to the drunkard in the street, to the drug addict, to the drug pusher, to the uh, people who are on the uh, uh, dirty side of the street, as it were. We love to think about other people's sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ turned round and he pointed to these men's and their own sins. And that's what he'd do with you. You can think about the sins of other people. You can think about Vladimir Putin. Or you can think about the sins of uh, President Biden. Or you can think about the sins of the man who stands on the corner. But dear friend, what about your sin? You cannot say that you can cast the stone because you are not without sin. And we recognize that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're very apt to forget about the sin that is in our own hearts. Why, would you throw the stone in the circumstances? Would you in the face of the holy, righteous Son of God take up a stone to throw at another when you yourself are guilty of every bit as much? You know, Arthur Conan Doyle one time, I'm sure you've heard the story, in a joke, sent a letter to 12 of his friends and he sent the telegram, flee at once, all is discovered. And within 24 hours, all 12 of them had fled the country. You see, there's always something. There's always something in our private lives or in our public lives that needs to be covered over. But not only do I want you to see the fairness of the Saviour, but I want you to see the feeling of the Savior. Because not only did the Lord Jesus display fairness here, but you can see his feeling, his compassion for the woman. Here she is, and she is taken in adultery, but the Lord is not uh, stern towards her. She is a sinner. He acknowledges her sin. He does not deny her sin. But I want you to see what the Lord Jesus does with her. He brings her into a place where she and he are alone. He brings her into this place where everybody else is shut out. 
and all the world is shut out, and it is he and the woman alone. Now at the start, she's brought into the uh, public square, and she's thrown into the midst of all the people, and her sins are displayed for all to see, and the uh, sins that she's been committing are announced in the public square, and the people are gathered round, and they're all gawking at her, and there she is, right in the very public. But what does the Lord Jesus do? Well, he brings her alone. He brings about a situation where he and she are alone. He has said to these men, he that is without sin, let him first cast the stone at her. And they begin to leave. And one by one, from the eldest to the youngest, we read that they go. Look at verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Do you see the words? That Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. There they were, she and Christ. And dear friend, at the end of the day, that's the relationship that matters. You know, we think of many places or many times in our lives when we have been influenced by the clamor of the crowd, where the, in the midst of the world and in the midst of our friends, we are putting on the bravado and doing things that maybe we wouldn't otherwise do. We are ashamed. We are influenced by the crowd, either by the fact that we don't want to stand out in any way, or by the fact that the crowd are wanting us to do something. And very often, what the Lord Jesus Christ has to do is to get us alone. Alone between him and you. Where God begins to speak. Where it fights, and, and I know that many people have experienced it in meetings. And there are other people here. And there are other people in the meeting and in the service. And there are times when it seems as if God is just speaking to you alone, where it is as if you and God are together. The other people begin to fade into the distance, and it's just you and God. I wonder, have you experienced that? I wonder if God has been speaking to you this evening, and you realize that this is a matter between you and God. God, as it were, has taken you aside. Jesus uh, is alone with you. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Oh, dear friend, that the Holy Spirit might speak in your heart, that God may deal with you alone, that he might come close tonight, and there might be that convicting of the Holy Spirit of God. But here is the Lord and the woman left alone, the sinner and the friend of sinners. And that's all she needed. She didn't need anything else. She didn't need anyone else. All that we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. She didn't need any other mediator. She didn't need any organization. She didn't need any other uh, body of people. All she needed is Christ. And all that you need tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice that the Lord, as we say, didn't deal harshly with the woman. 
You know, sometimes when we deal with sinners and we think about their awful sins, we're apt to deal harshly with them. But the Lord Jesus didn't deal harshly. The woman is guilty of the crime, but he deals with her in infinite kindness. He says to her, woman, woman, are those, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And my, here he is, and he speaks to her as woman. He's dealing kindly with her. The Lord comes with that kindly voice, that voice of mercy. Yes, there's no greater kindness to you than that the Lord should bring his word and speak through his word to your heart. So we see something of the feeling of the Savior. But then I want you to see not only the fairness of the Savior and the feeling of the Savior, but look at the forgiveness of the Savior. Because the Lord says to a woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she is able to say, no man, Lord. Now the word condemned there that is used in the text there in verse 11 is a word that means, it refers to outward punishment, not inward guilt. He's saying to her, is, no one, is, is there no one left who is qualified to do the stoning? That's really what he is saying. And she says, no man, Lord. She knew that no man could condemn her. There was nobody left to stone her in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord could condemn her. The Lord could condemn her. But the Lord says, neither do I condemn thee. How could he say that? How could he say that? Well, I want you to realize some things. The first thing is that he did so to keep the law. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ had to perfectly keep the law. And the law said that if a person was to be condemned, if they were to be stoned, then it had to be done in the mouth of two or three witnesses. As we told you, it had to be direct witnesses. It hadn't, couldn't be hearsay or that they'd seen them go somewhere. or they had, they had to be direct witnesses of the actual act. Now the witnesses have gone. The witnesses have gone. She says, there's no man to condemn me. No man to stone me. And so, by the law, she had to be acquitted. There was no other way that, than that, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, if he was going to keep the law of Moses, had to acquit her because there was no witnesses. And that's the first thing. There was uh, a crime committed, but under the law of Moses, there was uh, very strict rules that it had to be direct witnesses that witnessed the thing. And that's the reason why the Lord Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee, because there was no witnesses. But then I want you to see something else. I want you to see that there's a change in the woman's heart. Because she said, no man, Lord. She called him Lord. You'll remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, Wherefore I give you to understand, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now that speaks of um, confessing him as Lord and King of your life. But here is this woman, and her thrilling answer is, No man Lord. She could have addressed him in so many ways. 
She could have called him so many things, but she addresses him as Lord. And I don't know how full her understanding was, but she certainly understands that this is the Messiah. The Jews had been waiting for the Messiah at that time. She is at least admitting his authority. She, ha- she is saying that he has authority over him. And I think that she is admitting that this is the Messiah, the one that is sent from God. And we read in uh, the third gospel, in the gospel of, uh, of uh, the Apostle John said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. I wonder tonight, are you willing to own him as Lord? Are you willing to own him as King? Because the Lord is able to change the heart. Here's a woman who had been right down in the very depths of sin, right in the act of sin, and yet now in a a complete transformation. She's owning the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. But not only, but the Lord Jesus forgives her on that basis, I think, but also we recognize that the Lord Jesus is the only one that can change the woman's heart. And any forgiveness happens upon the grounds of Calvary. And the Lord Jesus here could see the cross. He could see what was going to be accomplished there on the cross of Calvary. And the grounds of forgiveness is always the cross. There is no other forgiveness but upon the grounds and the merits of the precious shed blood. We read how he died the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Pastor Warren Wearsby makes the following comment about the verse of Scripture here. He said we must not misinterpret this event to mean that Jesus was easy on sin or that he contradicted the law. For Jesus to forgive this woman meant that he had to one day die for her sins. Forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. And so that's the thing, dear friend, that the Lord Jesus Christ could only forgive this woman upon the grounds of what he was going to accomplish on the cross of Calvary. And we realize that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. But I want you to see something else, because this is very important, the story. While this woman escaped the immediate death penalty of her sin, I want you to realize that the Lord did not pass over her sin. Because look at the next words. He said, neither do I condemn thee. But then what did he say? He said, go and sin no more. He told her that there needed to be a turnaround in her life. There needed to be something done about her sin. He told her, sin no more. Now that, what's he talking about there? He's talking about repentance. He is talking about a a radical change that is going to take place in her life. She cannot resist sin. She's a sinner. She has been taken up in sin and overcome by sin. But now the Lord Jesus is saying, go and sin no more. That's repentance. So not only has she acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, 
But now the Lord is saying, go and sin no more. Your sin has to be dealt with. Something has to be done about your sin if you're going to be forgiven. And isn't that the heart of the gospel? Something needs to be done about your sin. It's not as if the Lord was just giving the woman a free pass. He said, go and sin no more. And I want you to see that the Bible says in very many places, the Lord said, repent ye, therefore, or repent ye and believe the gospel. We read in Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 30, that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The Bible says, repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So there has to be a turning away from sin. And we see something here of the forgiveness of the Savior. He told her to go and sin no more. But then I want you to see the fullness of salvation. How can this woman turn? How can she turn from her sin? What does it mean when the Lord said, go and sin no more? Does that mean that those that are saved are able not to sin anymore? Does it mean that we're sinlessly perfect? You know, there are those that say, well, when we, are, uh, uh, when we are saved by the grace of God, then we're sinlessly perfect. Is that what the Lord Jesus was meaning? Completely stop your sin? There is no more sin from this day onward? Well, we find in the Bible that there is. We, we know that the Word of God gives provision. The, the Apostle Paul spoke of how uh, to will was present with him, but how to perform, he knew not. We recognize that we do sin. But what has happened in the life of the child of God is that the power of sin has been broken. We don't need to sin. We recognize that we do sin at times, but the power of sin that is in us has been broken so that that nature, we have a new nature, we are born again of the Spirit of God, and part of that new birth is that ability to resist sin. For example, turn over to 1 John chapter 3 and verses 4 to 6, and I'm going to read a passage that seems to at first contradict exactly what I'm saying just now, but turn over to 1 John chapter uh, 3 and... Look at uh, verses uh, 4 to 6. He says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And we know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now you notice what it says there, particularly in verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now that seems to confirm what I've been speaking against, really. That those that are uh, the Lord's, we don't, it's, it seems to imply that we don't sin. Is that what it's saying? Well, it looks like that on the surface until you begin to look at the tense of the verse because it is a continuous tense. We could read it, whosoever 
uh, continues to commit sin or habitually sins, uh, transgresseth also the law. And we recognize that he is saying here that a child of God does not habitually sin. There should be something different about the child of God. We are able to stop sin. We are able to go and sin no more. Sometimes we fall into sin. It doesn't mean that it's impossible for us to sin. But there is a new nature. There should be something different about us. And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying to this woman. You have a new nature. If you turn away from your sin, if there's that repentance, that belief in me, then you'll be born again of the Spirit of God, and there's a new nature, and you will uh, have the ability not to habitually sin. That ought to be true of the child of God. The Lord says, go and sin no more. But not only was there something to stop in the woman's life, there was something to start. The life that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted for this woman was a full life, was a blessed life, a happy life. You think of the circumstances in which she was just there. She was frightened. She was caught in the act of sin. Guilt was uh, filling her mind and her heart. She was absolutely petrified that the uh, Uh, the penalty of the law was going to be visited upon her, that she was going to die. But now the Lord has changed her, transformed her, and she is a new start. She's able to go out now and live a changed life, a transformed life. And I'm glad that the Lord gives a new life of joy and fullness and blessing to those that trust in him. But was the Lord then passing over sin? No, he wasn't. This woman was saved in the same way as any other person was saved. It wasn't that the Lord was dismissing her and just saying, no, I don't condemn you. He wasn't condemning her on the basis of the fact that there was new life and there was a turning away from sin. And dear friend, I say to you tonight that you must turn from your sin. And you must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and own him as Lord of your life. And if that is true of you, then the Lord Jesus will say of you in a day to come, neither do I condemn thee. Why? Because of the precious bloodshed at Calvary. Why? Because of the cross and all that was accomplished there. It's the same message that we always have. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the cross of our Savior there at Calvary. It's the only way that you come, and may you come that way and find the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. And if God has spoken to your heart, then we'd love to hear from you. Don't go away without the Savior tonight. Our loving God and our gracious Father, We do thank thee for thy precious word. We thank thee that this woman was uh, set free. We thank thee that she was set free on the basis that her sins were dealt with and on the basis that she had uh, come into that relationship with thee as Lord of her life. So our God, we pray that thou wouldst bless thy word and write it upon hearts 
and draw precious souls to thyself. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. We turn to the hymn 292 in closing tonight. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. And we will uh, sing the first and the last verses of the hymn, and we'll stand as we sing. 292 verses 1 and 4. God and our gracious Father, we pray that thou wouldst bless thy word to our hearts this evening. We thank that thou art able again to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by thee. Now bless us each one, we pray the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen.